Welcome to the Contrast Church Podcast. Contrast is located in Grandview, Ohio, with the mission to help people be with Jesus, become like Him, and live out His mission together. For more information on attending our meetings, our missional communities, or giving, visit contrast.church. Today, we're talking about a passage that I have experienced uh, in another country. Um, I have been to a couple different countries uh, in Central America, and I had the opportunity a few years ago to go to Honduras. My sister Allison, who's not here, uh, she's a nurse, and so there was a medical mission trip with some ENT surgeons who were doing a bunch of surgeries for kids in this impoverished neighborhood who couldn't afford like tonsil, tonsil removal and things like that. And so uh, I got to go as the, the camp pastor, and, uh, and so it was me and my sister and then like 20 or 30 medical people, and I felt like an oddball for sure. Uh, and my goal was to go there to encourage the, like our group and then to go out and to share the gospel in these villages. Um, I know Moy uh, Piquito, uh, very little Spanish, and uh, I don't even think that phrase was correct, but um, <laughs> it shows you. Uh, and uh, I went out to these villages, and uh, I don't know if you've ever done this, but you know, I'm, like, you know, I'm, young, I'm still young, but I was very young. I mean, I was just out of college. And I'm going into these villages of people that are far older than me who have literally nothing, and I'm supposed to tell them, you know, hey, like, Jesus is good news, and here's why, when I really had no idea the life that they'd been dealing with. And what was incredibly formative in those moments was my intent was to go in there and to preach to people, and the very opposite happened, because uh, I would preach these people, and they would basically be like, oh, yeah, like, we're Christians, like, how can we pray for you? Like, you know, and, and I'm looking, and I'm like, this is just so counterintuitive to what I know. Um, it's amazing how you can live in a bubble and not think about um, different walks of life and cultures. And it probably ministered more to me than I did to them. I was probably pretty ineffective. But for me, it was incredibly formative. And I look back at that moment, and I, I read this passage that we're going to read today. This is Matthew 6. And I think that the, the perspective that I had there was the life breathed into this passage. Now, in America, this passage is probably one of the hardest ones to teach. I've taught it probably four or five times, and almost every time, uh, I, I don't usually listen to myself, but I went back almost every time after, I listened to myself, and I immediately just think, man, that was terrible, and I should do it again. And, uh, and the main reason why is, you know, honestly, you could probably talk about this passage for three hours. It just has so much to it, and the reason why is because it has so much cultural baggage. This passage is talking about something at which uh, we read and we feel like it feels very archaic. It doesn't really fit into our modern lens or our culture. Uh, it doesn't fit into the things that we've experienced. Uh, and so before we get into the passage, I, uh, I want to play a little video. And this is a tricky video, so try to pay attention. It's pretty hard for people to be able to do successfully, but uh, we're going to go ahead and roll this and you can watch it. The monkey business illusion. Count how many times the players wearing white pass the ball. The correct answer is 16 passes. Did you spot the gorilla? For people who haven't seen or heard about a video like this before, about half missed the gorilla. 
If you knew about the gorilla, you probably saw it. But did you notice the curtain changing color or the player on the black team leaving the game? Let's rewind and watch it again. Here comes the gorilla, and there goes a player, and the curtain is changing from red to gold. When you're looking for a gorilla, you often miss other unexpected events. And that's the monkey business illusion. Learn more about this illusion and the original. So you're probably like, well, I wonder where Trey's going with this one. Bunch of monkey business. That's uh, from a, a uh, psychologist who uh, did an experiment based upon um, humans and their ability to focus on things. Uh, there's a bunch of science behind it. I'm not a big science nerd, and I know some of you get bored of my, like, my humoring of it. But uh, the, uh, I think it's foci or something in your eye can only focus in a certain way. And so th that proves that illustration where when your eye is focusing on something, you, you really have a very um, small inability. You have a very high inability to look at other things that are going on in the midst of that. And so like, I watched the video, and I had known there was going to be a gorilla. So I watched it, and I was like counting the passes, and I'm like, there's the gorilla. And then at the end, it was like, did you see the gorilla? And I'm like, yes. And then it was like, did you see the curtain change colors? And I was like, no. So <laughs> I even like, came in knowing like, what this is going to do, and it still got me, and I was like, this is a good video. And I played this video because... Uh, the passage we're going to be talking about is dealing directly with worry and anxiety. Probably in a more holistic camp, we like to talk about the phrase mental illness. It talks about the way in which we worry about things. And last week, we, talk about, we talked about money and how money is something that controls and consumes us. And this week, we're talking about uh, possessions and the worries of the world, whether it be food or clothes or shelter or status or whatever it may be. Jesus is giving us this beautiful sermon, the longest sermon we get of him in the Bible. And it's this kingdom lifestyle that he's calling us to, and he's, he's giving it to tons of people on hilltops. Uh, and in the midst of this, he gets to these two passages that, that I think wreck everyone listening. In fact, if you had been listening from Matthew 5, and we started several weeks ago, um, you would get to the point where every week there would be specific passages where you would listen to that, and you would say, man, if that were true, the world would be awesome, but I immediately know that I'm not capable of doing that. That's kind of where Jesus leaves you. And in last week and in this week, that was also where he will leave you, is, man, if there's a, the vision that he's painting is the most compelling, beautiful vision I can think of, but the reality of what it takes to get there and where I'm currently at is nowhere close. And the reason why I said earlier this passage is so difficult to talk about is because mental illness is incredibly difficult to talk about, primarily because there's not a lot of just black and white People, um, people struggle with something and they might say, well, you've never experienced what I've experienced. You don't have X, Y, Z. Or, you know, if, you, if you only knew you were in my shoes, you know how my brain works or the way that I think or the way that I get heated about things. And so people oftentimes are trying to help people, but there's very little foundation that we can all say, oh yeah, I felt the exact same way. I know exactly what you're talking about. And so a lot of times, the only people that get a voice in the mental illness conversation are people that have to have equal empathy, meaning I've, I've had to experience that same thing. And for someone who has has had moments of nominal anxiety and, um, and stuff like that. I have not experienced like, this crippling anxiety that a lot of people have. Um, I don't have general anxiety disorder or anything like that. And so it's hard when I talk about this because I immediately know that people will sometimes listen to the words and say, yeah, but you just don't get it. And that is why this passage is so hard for me because I want to be able to convey the truth here because I think this passage is, is setting, can set millions of people free. 
but I, I have a hard time removing myself in such a way that people are willing to, to listen and engage. So I would ask that you would give me grace, but I would ask that you, we would focus on what Jesus is saying here because we can't write this off because I believe this passage can free us in immense ways. And I say free us. You're asking, well, what, are, what is he freeing us from? And many of you probably already know. Uh, anxiety, depression, worry, busyness. And it's not something that you just, you, know, you just say, just do this and your life will be better. In fact, if you've, if you've maybe wondered... People thought, well, man, if I could just slow down, like if I could just, if I could work from home, then I'd be better. And then what happened? COVID hits, people work from home, and they say, working from home is driving me crazy. I don't have any time, and I don't know how. I don't drive anywhere. I, I wake up in the same clothes I go to work in, and, and yet I still feel overwhelmed. I still feel busy. I feel more anxious than before. Or we say, well, maybe I just need more vacation. I'll just take more weeks at the beach. And let me tell you, me, Sarah and I were at the beach last week, and there were several days where I was like incredibly anxious, and I felt guilty because I'm like, I'm at a place that's supposed to not be um, anxious or stressful. More weeks on the beach is not, does not, it's not this simple solution. Uh, a different career, a different life, like we can try to remove all of these things, but at the end of the day, it doesn't, doesn't actually solve the problem. And so what Jesus says here, though, it seems very simple. It's incredibly profound. And so as we, we get into the text, we're going to be in Matthew 6. So if you want to turn in your uh, Bibles or your phones, we're going to be in Matthew 6. But before we get into it, I want to I set the stage of the, the gravity of what he's talking about here. If you've listened to me talk or been in, I don't know, really a lot of the things that we do, we talk a lot about, um, you know, as being, a lot of us are young, trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus, trying to figure out our careers and, and ministry and how that all fits together. We're incredibly busy people. Young people have a very hard problem with slowing down, and so what I like to talk about is, you know, the rhythms of rest and, and Sabbath and things like that. I often mention the book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. If you've heard of that book, it's a great read. But what we're getting at here and what Jesus is talking about is not just a physical pace, but it's, an, it's also an intellectual, it's an emotional, it's a spiritual pace. It's, it's our lives in such a way that we've created uh, these structures in our lives where I, I think it's almost impossible for us to slow down, to be at peace, and to not worry. And I say that because I've been reading studies and statistics, and I'm not going to bore you with a bunch, but I read a fascinating study. This is a report published by the University of California, San Diego. They took a census of of data consumption of American households and found that the average American consumes 100,000 words each day from all channels and technology, TV, newspapers, online, music, and more. And they call us data hounds. So much so, in fact, that your brain processes information from all those channels to the tune of almost an entire King James Bible each week. Fascinating, right? So you could technically read the Bible every week if you just didn't have any of those things, right? I don't know why they said King James, but I mean, that'd be a little longer to read. But um, we, so we think about this, and then they found out, and on top of that, uh, that the Americans consume 11.8 hours of information a day on average. Now you're doing the math, and you're like, I don't even know if I'm awake for 11 hours a day. They found this out because people multitask, right? I don't know if you've ever done this. I've sat on my couch watching Netflix, an iPad in one hand and my phone here. I'm literally, I have three things on at the same time. And guess how much I, how good I'm doing at all of them? Like zero, right? It's just like overwhelming, right? I don't know if you've ever done that, um, but I certainly have. And so they're counting multitasking hours in that. The most staggering part about this, this statistic and this data was this study was done in 2007. 14 years ago. 14 years ago. I don't know what the numbers are now. I don't even want to know. <laughs> They'll probably just be depressing. It's like, yeah, you've consumed 25 hours of content a day. And you're like, that's crazy. I don't know. But... What we're seeing here is this, is this plague of content overload, 
Uh, Bo Burnham, who's a comedian, he did this incredible piece of art on Netflix. I call it art because I don't even know what else it is, but he, he did this song about content, and what was so incredibly powerful about it was really he's just like forcing this idea that all we care about is more and more content, more and more content, whether it's a new show, whether it's a new movie, whether it's a new article, whether it's a new idea, whether it's uh, new clothes, new website to shop at, new app, you name it. It's more and more content, more and more feeding. And we read something, and our brains are already getting excited about jumping to something else. I don't know about you, I might read an article, and they put those ads right in the middle of the article. I click on those half the time. I don't even finish the original article I was reading. And I don't even realize that I forgot, because my brain is just all over the place. And so we, this, is, this is our culture. Now, you might be like, ah, I'm, I'm pretty good being focused. Good for you. But for most of us, and including myself, that is not the case. <laughs> So it doesn't mean you can tune out, but I'm just letting you know, good for you, okay? But, you know, we, we, we look at this, and I'm not trying to be fatalistic, like, oh, our world's just, we're just going down, we have too much information and all that. But we wonder why we worry, and then we think about these statistics, we think about the culture that we live in. If, if I told you that the most powerful thing God is calling you to do right now is to do absolutely nothing, would you actually believe that? Like on my day off, you know, I'm like, oh, I need to really connect with God. It's my day off. That's what I got to do, right? And then I start doing all these things, fixing up the house, mowing the grass, talk, whatever. Like I fill it with the whole day. And, and I'm showing with my life that I don't really believe that, that, that being with God is more important than all these other things. And we've created a life where we, we have to keep up, right? We're, we're, we're afraid that if we're not online every day, we don't see the stories, we miss what's happening, we get FOMO, we're not in trend anymore, we don't know the cool lingo, we get called OK Boomer, like, you know, because we don't know things which has actually been happening to me a couple times. I'm like, I am pretty young for that phrase, but we worry, right? We worry. Um, and, and I say this because Jesus' passage that we're going to read here, starting in verse 25, if you're there, is not archaic, and it is not dead, and it is not something that is irrelevant to the culture. Jesus was very aware of humanity, and it says that he knew the human heart. And he knows what we're capable of doing, and I don't think God is one bit surprised that we have an iPhone, and that we will have an iPhone 13 and 14 and so on. And so I want us to read this passage. I'm going to go kind of verse by verse, so just stick with me. This is in verse 25. He says, therefore, and he's saying therefore because last week we are talking about money. You can't serve God and money. You've got to pick one. Now he's saying, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't there more to life than food and more to the body than clothing? So like I said, he, he's drawing in this idea of like, if you serve God or money, you can't serve both. And we know that everybody has money. It's our currency. We have to survive with it. Uh, and so what are we making our God? And so he says, okay, great. Let's say you choose God, right? Well, then the next direct thing is actually everything else in the world, the possessions, the earthly things, the clothes, the food, the worries. And so he's saying, therefore, if you've, if you've, if you've felt the weight of this, now let's go into this. And the word, the word uh, worry here in the Greek is... Uh, is merim now, and it, it means to be anxious, to care for, or to be cumbered with. Meaning, um, I don't know if you ever use the word cumbered, but you feel like uh, over encumbered by like all, all the things you have to do today, or a conversation with someone you have to have, or you're not performing your job. It's, it's these things that weigh us down. And Matthew, the writer of this gospel, he uses this phrase, or this word, six times in this passage, and he only uses it seven or eight times in the whole rest of the gospel. So this is the passage that we look at for worry, is Jesus' words here on worry and anxiety. And I don't think that I even have to really give any proof that over the last 20 years that depression has skyrocketed, suicide has skyrocketed, uh, loneliness has skyrocketed. Every graph 
looks like, like this, and then social media, Facebook, and Instagram, and it's all just like this now. So I don't have to necessarily, you can look up a stat, I don't need to, but it's getting, it's getting worse and worse and worse. We're getting more isolated, more fearful, more depressed, and this is like the most powerful punch about worry and anxiety in the book of Matthew. And, and, and Jesus just starts off practical, and he just says, do not worry about your life. Now, I don't know about you, if I said that to my wife, I'd just say, hey, babe, just don't worry. How does that go? Does anybody know? Anybody married here? You know how that goes, right? Um, I still say it. My favorite phrase is, it's going to be okay. You know, it's going to be okay. And she's like, stop saying that. And, and so Jesus here, we read this, and we almost feel offended because it feels like he's not actually understanding the gravity and the weight of our situation. It feels like, well, of course he's Jesus. Just don't worry. That simple. And you're like, it's not that simple. So let's keep moving because he's going to get to why he's able to just say this statement with such audacity. In verse, uh, skip down to verse 27. Skip over 26. We'll go back to it. Verse 27. And which of you can worry, which of you by worrying can add even one hour to your life? This is funny. This is funny um, scientifically because worry, anxiety, upping your heart rate, it actually causes you to potentially die earlier. You're more prone to heart attacks. Um, you literally like, are affecting your life expectancy when you're worrying. So here is actually not even really this like, it's not even a figurative, it's actually pretty literal in some ways, that worrying actually detracts from your health. That stress at a certain point, stre- good, stress is good for a certain amount of time, and then it hits to a certain point where it actually becomes unhealthy. It affects your body. In fact, a lot of doctors, I'm no doctor, but a lot of doctors prescribe a lot of like, simpler tasks when you come in for certain types of ailments because uh, a lot of times it has to do with just the, the stress that you're putting on yourself. In fact, um, I don't know if you have heard of Jordan Peterson, but he's a psychologist, and one of the things that he has, deals with a lot of really severely anxious clients and things like that, and one of the first two things he'd recommend when they came in for whatever it was, he would just say, go to bed at a normal time and eat a breakfast high in protein. Those were his, like, he's a counselor, those were his two first steps, was just create uh, steps in your life that, that alleviate stress and can help provide structure in, because you're just all over the place. So we know that, that stress... Over, overly stressing, Jesus is like, you're not going to add anything to your life. If anything, you're going to detract from it. And I want to be very blunt here, and I want to call this what it is. Worry, anxiety, is sin. Now, I say that, and people get very uncomfortable, because immediately people say, well, I've been told I have a chemical imbalance, so how could I be sinning in a way that I didn't personally um, step into, right? Like, there's a difference between going out and intending to hurt someone and somebody running into you and them getting hurt, how can I say that was wrong if they just ran into me, right? And so people get frustrated when they talk about worry and anxiety, they talk about it as a sin. But what, what, what I want to get at here is the meaning of sin is probably, you're probably a little too narrow. Sin in the original word is just, is just the distance of, of being off. So in a target, the cir- circle is the bullseye. Sin is however far your arrow hits from the bullseye. So the, in, in the words of sin we talk about in the Bible, it is basically creating things and relying on things, anything else other than God. So when you worry, when you're anxious, you're not trusting in God. Now, I'm not here to say like, that we all just need to be perfect. We're all sinners, and we all have sin, and I worry, and I, and I have anxiety. But if we don't take serious this, I think we will miss the ability to see the value of what Jesus says about this and, and, and the weight of it. Because a lot of you that struggle with mental illness, no one would say, yeah, it's great, I just, it's fine, you know, it's whatever. Like You're frustrated by it. In fact, you're probably very angry when other people seem like, they have higher bandwidth. They can do more than you. They might not have the limitations that you do. And so the last thing I want to do is say it's sin and just make you feel worse. 
But, but, but in this, we see that, that sin is much more rampant than we believe. There's, there's generational sin in families, things that maybe you just inherited just because you were born by parents who maybe one was struggling with alcohol, maybe one was prone to a different sin, and, and you almost kind of inherit this. And so sin here we can't take lightly, but when we look at this, and what I want us to understand about anxiety and worry is it is not of God and that he is wanting something much better for us. It is not that simple in terms of just oh, I'm just going to pray it away and it'll be fine. Don't ever say that, please. <laughs> if you know someone with mental illness, don't just say, just pray it away, okay? That is incredibly not sensitive. But, but I'm pointing this out because I want us to understand this in the next two points. And here, here's where Jesus gets to. He says, in verse 26, he gives us two examples. He says, look at the birds of the sky. Do they not, they do not sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them? Aren't you more valuable than they are? Skip down to verse 28. Why do you worry about clothing? Think about how the flowers of the field grow. They do not work or spin. Yet I tell you that even Solomon in all of his glory, richest man ever, was clothed like one of these. And if this is how God clothes the wild grass, which is here today and tomorrow is tossed into the fire to heat the oven, won't he clothe you even more, you people of little faith? Jesus is very aware of our ability to worry and be anxious. In fact, I would say this passage is something that I almost have to remind myself every day. Like, I can feel good for a week, and then the next week, circumstances change, and I'm just overwhelmed. And uh, it's no, it's no um, surprise, while the most highly attended Sunday in the last 10 years was um, September 16, 2001, which was the Sunday after 9-11. Everybody goes to church. Four weeks later, the attendance goes back to normal. And because people are out of their own control, it's obvious to them. As Christians, I think we've come to realize this. If you're a follower of Jesus, you, you know that you're submitting to the idea that it is out of your control. But we have to daily remind ourselves, and I think this is why Jesus uses two of the most simple analogies. The fact that he's teaching on a hill. There's probably birds flying over the, the sea of Galilee, and there's probably grass on all the plains. And he's like, look at the things around you. Try to count how many blades of grass there are. Try to count how many birds there are. In fact, do you even care about birds? There's millions of them, and they fly wherever they go and God takes care of them. And, and it's almost as if he's, he's letting, he's just, he's, he's rebalancing us, right? He's, he's putting the perspective back at a level where he is truly the one that we trust in. And this is why when I went to uh, Honduras, it was this moment for me, right? I had been so tunnel visioned, I was counting the passes with the white players and missing the gorilla, missing really everything else going on because I was so focused on my life, on my circumstances, on the things that I'm reading, whatever it may be. And I went over to Honduras, and my, my life was just, you know, I saw humanity, and I saw God moving in ways that I can never see. And so Jesus says, look at the things around you, wherever you are. God has put purpose into those things far more than you can ever think of. That wouldn't he not care more uh, about you than that? And, and, and grass is a funny analogy because it seems kind of depressing here, but it says, the flowers of the field grow, and, yet I, and then he says, and if this is how God clothes the grass which is here today and then tossed into the fire tomorrow, won't he clothe you even more? Meaning, even the things that are incredibly temporary, he cares about. How much more does he care about our lives? And I, I think we read this, and I don't, honestly don't need to give you like a bunch of commentary about it. Like I don't think that you're confused about what Jesus is doing here. But for some reason, we have a very hard time about continually trusting this. And I think I kind of, I just have two application um, steps on this that I think are helpful. Um, but before I get into that, um, 
one of the uh, one of the commentators. It was funny. I was reading and and you know talking about birds. And I don't know if, if you're a very logical person like I am. Sometimes you'll read scripture and you'll be like, that seems like an overgeneralization because I know birds. And I don't know about you, but I was thinking about it. I've seen a lot of dead birds in my life. And you're like, clearly God's not taking care of all these birds because I've seen a lot of dead birds. I was thinking about it. This is this is a true story. I've probably seen four to five dead birds a year. Like, I don't know about you. I'm, I, just, just think about it. You go walking. There's, there's a lot of times a dead bird on the ground somewhere, whether it's a baby, whatever. So you read this passage, and we're laughing, but you read it, and you're like, yeah, it, that's just like a, it's just like a huge figurative thing, right? God, Jesus is just throwing it in the air. Like, clearly, birds die. Clearly, they have problems, right? And, and, and that, so that's not what he's getting at. In fact, one commentator said, this is funny, because I've actually heard people teach this, like they forget the fact that birds die. And he said, it would be grossly insensitive and blinkered uh, reader who would suggest that it was simply because they did not trust God enough that they died. He says later that the teaching seems to envision the world as it should be rather than the world it is. And I say that because I'm tired of people going around telling other people bad things happen to you because you just didn't have enough faith. And, and that's what he's saying here is you can't just lay this statement over everything. What Jesus is doing here and what he's doing in these three chapters, the Sermon on the Mount, he is revealing the, his kingdom. And he is showing you the people who are in it who get to be accepted, the things that they do, the ethics they believe in, the values they have, the things they do for other people in the world. This is the kingdom. When we have a vision, imagine a kingdom where people don't worry, where people aren't worried about food, where people aren't worried about clean water, where people aren't worried about clothes because they are provided for. Imagine the freedom they have for other people. When I went to Honduras, I was literally like, I don't even know if you guys are going to have a meal tomorrow, and they didn't even care. Not that they were like, you know, crazy, but they just, this is, this is what they know, right? They can trust that God will provide. For us, I don't, I don't pray those prayers, because I, I don't think I need to, right? I think I'm king, right? I'm holding on to my life the way that I think I should. And so I, I, reading this, just remind yourself, one, it's not as simple as just, oh, you didn't have enough faith, so you, just, you didn't pray hard enough, because that is, that is damage right there. But on the other hand, we have to realize that, that Jesus is giving us a vision of something that we, we strive for. That's the whole point of the Sermon on the Mount. The last phrase of the Sermon on the Mount, when they're done, which we'll cover in, I don't know, five weeks, is they had heard someone, I'm paraphrasing because I don't memorize. They had heard, when they heard Jesus' teaching, they were amazed and awe because he had spoken with authority. Why did he speak with authority? Because he's talking about things that are incredibly hard, but he has a confidence in a reality that this can become true. That he's calling people to say, you're worrying, you're anxious, you're selfish, you're not loving your enemies, you're murdering in your mind, you're lusting in your heart, you're doing all these things. And he, and he says, look at the vision that you can have if you take these things serious and you, follow your, you take up your cross and you follow me. And so in worry and anxiety, that even if it's not, we're still in this world that is not going to slow down anytime soon, we have the ability to trust in the hope that Jesus has in the midst of all of this. That we know that his kingdom is far better and he is making things new in the long run and that we, we trust in that even in the midst of busyness and craziness. In fact, you know, I don't know if you've been reading the news. Afghanistan has just been crazy. And, um, and, and there are Christians who are, I can't even imagine the level of worry they have going to church this Sunday in Afghanistan than we did here. I mean, people didn't go to church today because they were just tired. And people are going to church in Afghanistan who might be killed on their way there or there. And so I say that as a, as a whole world perspective, that we have to realize that God's kingdom is not just America, that it's the world, and that he is caring for people, and that our response is just is faithful, faithfully following him and trusting him. It's opening up 
our hands. And so the last piece that, that of that is the, the, the application. Some of you like the, the application steps. Is that, that uh, Luther put it this way, God provides food for the birds, but he did not drop it into their beaks. Okay, God provides food for the birds, but he did not drop it into their beaks, which means part of this teaching, like anything else he taught in the Sermon on the Mount, is we have to be willing to live this in our lives, to believe it, to trust in it, to yearn for the vision that he gives us. And so the last phrase, and this is the key right here, I'm going to read it, uh, verse 31. He says, don't, so then don't worry saying what we eat, what we drink, what we wear, for the unconverted, the people who don't believe in Jesus, pursue these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Here we go, verse 33. But above all, pursue his kingdom and righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. So then don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Today has enough trouble of its own. What he's saying here is, like, this is, this is simple. It's on, on the screen. The language is, make it our priority to find and seek God's kingship and righteousness. Make it our priority to seek after him and his kingdom. And this means two things. One, it's the desire, it's the desire of the king and his kingdom, which means we actually we have a vision and we want to yearn for and, 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 and live among and in his kingdom. And the second part is to submit and surrender our wills over to him, that he drops the food, but he does not put it into our beaks. So we have to be willing to submit ourselves over to his plan. And so I just want to leave you with two questions. One, do you have an image and a vision of the king and his kingdom that's worth pursuing? Do you have an image or a vision of the kingdom that's worth pursuing? And two, do I believe that if I wholeheartedly pursued this, my life would actually come to the truth that Jesus speaks about? A lot of times we know we, the right answer, but we don't actually believe that that is, that if we slow down, that if we, we truly Sabbath, which means we don't hang out with people seven nights a week, which means maybe we don't get to go to that thing everyone else got to go to, or maybe we, we, take, we fast from social media and we won't know what's going on. Are those things actually, do we believe that those are actually the things that will help promise what Jesus said for us? Do you have an image of a king and a kingdom that's worth pursuing it? And I just think that is our, our reflection question um, for today. As we, we conclude every, every Sunday, we, uh, we offer reflection. I'm going to invite the band up. And uh, you can do three things during reflection. The first one is reflect on that question. Uh, if, you're, if you're a Christian, then that has implications for you. If you're not, then there's maybe something you're wrestling with on your own. The second thing is we, we take, if you're a follower of Jesus, you can take, there's uh, bread and juice in the back. You can grab one. And we, t- we give you time to take the Lord's Supper. It's a reminder of his sacrifice for us, that we can't do it on our own. And that's the point of the Sermon on the Mount. And the last thing is, we have people in the back who would love to pray for you. If you're feeling anxious, you're feeling worried, you're feeling frustrated because you've tried, you've tried, you've tried, you're tired of striving, and you just want to live in freedom, I'd encourage you to go back and to receive some prayer. And so we're going to sing a really new song that's by our one of our favorite friends, Chris Renzema. Um, it's a sample. That was a sample. <laughs> Lucas is like, get off the stage, Craig. Uh, and uh, I just encourage you to sit and just listen. If you know the words, you probably won't, but you can sing. But we're going to just sit for this song, and then we're going to sing one more after that. We'd encourage you all to stand up and sing with. So you can go ahead and partake in any of the three things on the screen. Thank you for listening to the Contrast Church Podcast. To learn more about us and how you can be a part of it, visit contrast.church.